This episode of the Blue Hawaii Podcast is brought to you by, who else? Royal Thai Garden. Royal Thai Garden of a Beach. You know them. You love them. You've probably gone in there and mentioned the Blue Hawaii Podcast. You got that 20% discount and are patting yourself on the back right now for being such an astute listener and a uh, keen participant in the market economy uh, that we currently profess to have. Blue Hawaii Podcast discount. Mention it at Royal Thai Garden. Get 20% off normally right now. Can't tell you, can't guarantee it, but if they don't give it to you, calm down because the world's on fire. There are more important things. Royal Thai Garden of a Beach. Blue Hawaii. Welcome to the Blue Hawaii Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode. I am Ryan Little. I'm Josh Michaels. One more time. We're back by the grace of God, May 20th, 2020. It's happening. Folks, if you recall, Back in 2019, we interviewed our dear friend, R.J. Brown, R.J. Righteous Justice Brown, about his campaign to be the next prosecutor of the city and county of Honolulu. Uh, well, uh, we were intending this whole time to bring you uh, coverage, uh, interviews with his opponents. However, a little thing called coronavirus happened, and we've been a bit sidetracked. So now, 2020, campaign season full swing, we are bringing you a couple of interviews, and, and I mean that quite literally, Josh, don't I? Uh, a couple as in a pair, it as not, in two. Not more than two. Only two more interviews with prosecutorial candidates. Uh, this one is with Miss Jackie Esser. Josh, Ooh. what do you think about Jackie Esser? Uh, she's great. She's terrific, 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 terrific. People are saying it more and more. Do you think... Public defender, champion of the people. Do you think like we liked what she had to say, and I think uh, you might too. But do you think that Jackie would be a better prosecutor than what we currently have? Unequivocally, yes. Okay. But in fairness, that's not a tremendous achievement. Do you think that an empty natural light beer can would be a better prosecutor than what we currently have? Natural light, yes. Bush light, no. And I think that's fair, folks. That's why you come to the Blue White Podcast. We're firm, but we are fair. With that being Without said, further ado, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Look how quick we tried to dump. <laughs> really Get good. into this interview. Uh, uh, abandon all hope. <laughs> you who enter here. That, we were like, uh, that, and with that terrible joke, we will get the hell out of here. All right, folks. Good luck, everybody. <laughs> Don't let anybody cough on you. Jack, yes, are coming right up after this. Welcome back to the show, everyone. You are uh, fortunate enough to have uh, in your ear holes another candidate for prosecutor. Her name is Miss Jackie Esser. Uh, Jackie is a mother and a career public defender who says that she has a bold new vision for the Office of the Prosecuting Attorney that will make our community safer and stronger by focusing on prevention, diversion, treatment, rehabilitation, and equality. But Jackie, are you tough on crime? <laughs> Welcome uh, to the show, by the way. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, a little bit more about Jackie. She was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, moved to Hawaii in 2000 to attend college. She graduated from the University of Hawaii at Manoa with a degree in business management. Go Bows. Earned her law degree at the University of Hawaii, William S. Richardson School of Law. Double never, Go Bows. Never heard of it. Jackie has spent a decade fighting to improve the lives of her clients, their families, and our communities. She is committed to addressing the root causes of crime, building intergenerational stability, giving crime victims a voice in every case, and making our communities safer and more just. 
I don't think I want a prosecutor to do that. I just want to lock all the poor people up. Jackie, so, can you promise to do that? I, I cannot promise that. Fine. Okay, let's <laughs> continue on. So, you know, not to be super cynical, but that's some, that's, that's some pretty impressive big talk. Tell us about your plans. How are you going to make this happen? Sure. So I, I want to change the way that our office operates right now. I want to make the prosecutor's office, instead of just prosecuting crime and cycling people through our jail and prisons, I want to shrink the system. I want to make it community-centered. I want to focus on restorative justice. I want to reorient the office to partner with the appropriate government agencies, community-based service providers, so that we are stabilizing our communities and implementing policies and providing resources that will reduce crime Mm -hmm. and prevent crime instead of just constantly prosecuting the the crimes and then cycling people through. Right, not just about stacking up convictions. Correct. Now, for our listeners who who haven't heard this term before, can you talk a little bit about what restorative justice means to you? Sure. So restorative justice is when crime victims are brought to the table and they're asked, what do they need to start healing from moving on from being a victim to that of a survivor? So our current criminal justice system fails to take in the needs of the crime victim and just assumes that all crime victims want the maximum penalty Mm. and which is not necessarily the case and the way that the system is set up it's to uh, you know defendants have rights constitutional rights crime victims don't really and prosecutors use them as a means to the ends which is to get convictions but far too many times they're never asked uh, what do they need what resources can we give you how can we help you move on from this and you know simple things with they're they're not notified of when their court hearings are and they're just not supported throughout the process so restorative justice uh, and it involves them and it asks it, it you know ideally you would want the perpetrator of the crime to be involved but it's not necessary and it becomes more like a mediation where you're asking the crime victim you know to just questions to help them process and ask them what do they need to see happen and if it's to sit down with the perpetrator and because sometimes victims just want to know why this happened and they just want to ask that question sometimes they don't want to ever see the person that did it but basically restorative justice allows someone um uh, or it just it creates that dialogue with the crime victim which our current system doesn't and so i guess there's probably a lot of people out there who uh will hear this and go like but does that work though you know like why why shouldn't we just punish people why shouldn't we just put them away forever like what what's the value in doing restorative justice versus the way you know tough on crime and take care of the super predators and all those types of things sure well i we see the failings of that current policy right now so for the last 40 years ever since the war on drugs we've been dealing with issues like poverty substance abuse mental illness by making them criminal and because of that we're having communities of color um, here in Hawaii, it's Native Hawaiians, overly represented in our, in our jails. We're destroying families for generations and we're not doing anything and we actually are seeing generations of incarceration throughout families. So the, the policy of just 
you commit a crime, lock everyone up and go to prison or just or argue for the maximum sentence is actually making our communities less safe. Uh, and we see that um, in 19, you know, in the 1970s, there were around 700 people in our jail and prison statewide. Today, at its max in, in 2016, we had approximately 5,600. It's dropped a little bit. Today, we're around 5,300. But that's because of the over-criminalization. Everything is falling on the criminal justice system to deal with. So, um, you know, with our homeless population, with mental illness, the what we've been doing is okay just make it a crime to be on a sidewalk throw them in jail um, boom throw them in jail but hey then, place to sleep three meals like you know right so we spend two hundred dollars a day to house them there for a few days they're going to be released and they go right back to where they were the next block down because we're not addressing the problem that got them there most crimes are um, most people commit crimes because of needs, because of poverty. Mm -hmm. um, and so unless you are investing in the community, you're providing job resources, you're investing in education, we're going to continue to ha have this problem. And it shouldn't be, these, these issues, mental illness, substance abuse, addiction should not, it's not a criminal problem. It shouldn't be on the criminal justice system to fix. It's not the appropriate place. It's public health issues. It needs public health solutions. And um, we need to be investing in education and job resources and edu education. Which you could do from the money you spend on or you save by not sending everybody to jail. You know, you could invest in more social workers, et cetera, for, you know, for example. You absolutely can. So the budget of the prosecutor is public safety and public health is public safety. So a traditional prosecutor uses their budget to prosecute crimes and advocate for the maximum sentence most most often but instead you can re reorient that budget and use it to invest with neighborhood organizations that prevent crime that um, work with credible messengers out in the communities to prevent violence from happening and this is going around the nation yeah. and it, it's working uh, and restorative justice is being offered from the prosecutor's office. It does, we don't have to wait for legislation to happen. The prosecutor can work with restorative justice practitioners and offer it to victims through the prosecutor's office. Well, so, you know, again, playing a bit of devil's advocate, not that he needs any help, but Jesus, how does, hey, keep him out of it. That's uh, it sounds it sounds good like the idea of restorative justice, but like, what happens when like you know somebody's like a homeless guy's whacked out on meth and throws a brick through your window, at a, if you're a shop owner like what's the restorative process there? What do you what do you want there? How do you because you you mentioned that so many things are being put on the criminal justice system, including uh, a sort of Addiction, mental illness, I, yeah, homelessness. We're sort, of, we're sort of like offloading the, yeah. uh, the responsibility for addiction and mental illness and homelessness onto the criminal justice system. So like, how does restorative justice fix those sort of more chronic problems um, that don't necessarily have acute solutions? So the restorative justice is, well, so in that situation, you would ask the store owner, what do you need? I, I'm assuming the store owner would want their window replaced and they want to feel like this isn't going to happen again. Uh, but we're talking about, so when I say we should not prosecute crimes that stem from mental illness, poverty, or substance abuse, I'm talking about, like, for substance abuse, people who are in possession of a crime, and that's their, mm. quote, crime. In the scenario that you gave, 
a person was high on methamphetamine but then committed a criminal property damage by throwing the brick in the window. Um, so that's something different. But the the root cause of the criminality in that situation appears to be, without knowing more of this, the factual scenario. I just made it up. Okay, It appears to be um, due to maybe being on methamphetamine. And so if that's the case, in order to, he would be charged and prosecuted. But instead of just arguing for a prison sentence we're focusing on getting him or her treatment so that we're dealing with the root cause so that when they are back in the community they aren't committing offenses like this rather than let's put him in a room for six months and hopefully he'll be okay (laughs) and are there adequate resources at the state and local level to treat this hypothetical person who's decided to throw a brick through the shop's window like is there can we trust that, you know, the prosecutors are going to, they're going to sort of in this scenario and uh, like push it to um, state and local resources, but are there state and local resources that are there? Are the state and local resources going to be like, Oh, sorry, we can't do anything. You're back out on the street. Yeah. Our legislature, especially when it comes to appearing quote unquote tough on crime, turns is not, out, not super progressive. And turns out our legislators not very good at legislature. Legislators are not very good at taking care of poor people. So I'm like, how does that play in if you if you can't get buy-in from these other levels of government how does the restorative justice model work in those sort of chronic situations sure and 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 it also depends on the history i mean a prosecutor really has to look at someone's history and figure out what this person needs so in this scenario you're giving let's say that this is the first time that this person used meth and you know, had some psychotic episode and, sure. and did this. That's very different than someone who is chronically out in the community destroying property. I mean, it should be prosecuted and handled very differently. So in the scenario that you're giving, let's assume that this is the person's first offense. The prosecutor's the prosecutors are extremely powerful actors in the criminal justice system because they decide what type of charge they're going to charge and what sentence they're going to advocate for. So they actually have the power to, if this is the first, if this is the first incident this person has had with law enforcement and the prosecutor's office, they could actually divert this completely out of the system through programs like LEAD, Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion, um, which is a program that is based out of Seattle. We have a pilot program here, but the current prosecutor's office is not is refusing to work with them on any criminal related matter as prosecutor I would so essentially instead of having them arrested and processed through the criminal justice system we divert them to treatment wraparound services and they don't get a criminal conviction and we're not wasting our resources on prosecuting them and hopefully we treat the root causes and they can transition out of the system and go on to lead meaningful lives without being relegated to a second-class citizen with a conviction which is going to have everlasting impacts on them. So that's one scenario. If, if the person um, has, you know, been a long rap record of rap sheet of doing this, and that's something very different. So as far as your, to answer your question of do we have the resources, now we do have a lot of programs on the island, but we have a lot of barriers to treatment. Um, but that if you have a prosecutor who understands how 
treatment works, has a relationship with the programs, it's very easy to remove those barriers. Mm. And uh, we have, you know, we have excellent, we have two excellent long-term residential programs. And then for people who need more serious level of treatment, not everyone needs that. And then we also have short, we have shorter term, we have, we have, you know, a week of detox treatment facility. We have programs that are 30 days, 90 days. And so they're there. Uh, and definitely would, I think if you speak to any of the programs, they would like to have a prosecutor's office who works with them to make it easier and lift some of these barriers for people to get treatment. I, I guess. So then are, do you, are those programs set up to handle this potential influx of people? Um, that would be coming in if the if restorative justice was undertaken as a as an end. And so when I when when I'm talking about restorative justice is is one thing I want to offer as prosecutor, sure. and that's more for the crime victims. As far as someone being uh, arrested and charged, you know, this is the ultimate goal. That the ultimate goal that I would like to see the prosecutor's office or just us as a community, is that we don't respond to issues of poverty, mental illness, and addiction with law enforcement and incarceration. That's the ultimate goal. There's steps we can do on day one that will get us there, but I understand that it's going to be a process Mm. to ultimately get to the point where we aren't responding to drug possession with incarceration uh so to answer your question um yes it's we can get there uh and i understand that it could be a process that sounds awesome i mean it as a person who's who grew up very poor um and skeptical of the incarceral system the idea that this is a white guy from alabama yeah (laughs) Yes, true. Yeah. Uh, the the idea that we would seek treatment first and, and preventative measures um, sounds really exciting. I mean, this sounds sounds phenomenal. And I think uh, I have not heard anyone else in the prosecutor's race advocate for it like you have, which is, you know, par for the course. Leave it to the woman, the very competent woman, to have all the best ideas. So. You know, you mentioned... Uh, the nationwide changes, this sort of new direction, uh, the, a, a cultural societal shift, you know, a little bit. You, you mentioned uh, the programming in Seattle. Uh, we've got prosecutors across the country like uh, Larry Krasner in Philadelphia. Um, that gentleman in San Francisco, whose name escapes me, that also, you know, similar on the Larry Krasner. Chase at Bodine. Yeah, yeah. Exa- very good, exactly. At the same time, you know, uh, you're getting to be beginning to see on both sides of the aisle um, it hasn't really come to fruition, but the inclination and the, the coming awareness that going back to the war on drugs, like you said, whatever we're doing now, clearly, whatever our intentions were, good or bad, clearly something is not working. Now, at this particular political moment, which is very exciting, let's talk a little bit about you and like what prompted you, you know, this is your first time getting involved in politics. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your story and what motivated you to jump in? Sure. So I've been, you know, I'm a career public defender and I became a public defender because I've, I wanted to affect change. I 
always liked an underdog and that's kind of drew me to the public defender's office and after just being in the system yeah for some time you get it's you're really worn down on our system and you start thinking okay am i really doing anything to change it or am i just an actor in the system that is destroying people's lives so i hit a crossroad maybe about a year ago where i started thinking what do i want to do if 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 this is what i want for the rest of my life is this making me happy am i making real substantive change or do i need something different i remember when larry krasner like started in the office uh, after he was elected and hearing about what he was doing. And I was extremely inspired to see someone who was, um, you know, a defense attorney go in and just basically destroy the way the prosecutor's office operated and was making substantial changes to mm-hmm. how people saw public safety. So that was the first time I heard about this movement. And then I, you know, you're hearing more about it. You're, Tiffany Caban ran in uh, Queens, New York, mm-hmm. a very competitive race where she won. And then there was a recount and she ended up losing by 40 something votes. Um, and then San Francisco, Chesa Bodin just won. And, and recently in L.A. County and, and in Texas there for Super Tuesday, there were a lot of progressive prosecutors or former public mm-hmm. defenders running on similar platforms. And so about maybe a year ago maybe about nine months ago someone approached me about uh knowing that i was a little disgruntled and figuring out what i wanted to do uh put the idea in my head look this is hawaii if this can be done elsewhere why can't we do it here and my first reaction was how much time you got (laughs) (laughs) young people don't vote was that another one (laughs) was no way yeah. I'm not a prosecutor. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, uh, you're, you know, your words, not mine. I believe the phrase you just used was destroy the prosecutor's office. <laughs> so I by destroy the prosecutor's <laughs> office is basically change the way sure. the prosecutor's office operates yeah. and rethink what is public safety. Mm. And, and that's what I, I was seeing, that we actually, the prosecutor's office can can work and operate in a way that's actually building communities. It's improving public safety. It's investing in communities instead of the opposite, which I've seen, is that we're uh, just destroying families for generations and we're not doing anything to fix it. I mean, as a public defender, it is so you, you, you help a person, you help a person and they're back in the community, they're doing well, and they come back on another charge or a case that's extremely disheartening. Okay. And, uh, and, but it's the fail, it's the failing of our system. And it's going to take someone that's been on the other side to see, and this, I, I view what I'm doing. People are like, you're a public defender though how can you be doing this yeah. i view what i'm doing and what i'm advocating is actually my work as a public defender mm. and um i know through public defender work what stabilizes people what prevents people from committing crimes what do they need to transition on uh, and so i i will bring that perspective yeah. to the prosecutor's office now following up on that um, what's wrong with the prosecutor's office? <laughs> Seems like they're doing great over well, there, aren't just they? Just a little, a little. Well, before I ask my question, Ryan, I'm glad you brought that up because oh, uh, for you. our listeners who 
um, have been living under a rock. Who can't remember the last time we mentioned the prosecutor's office or, or do not know the context in which this particular interview was taking place. Uh, Civil Beat had a nice summary a few weeks ago. This election to replace Honolulu prosecuting attorney Keith Kaneshiro, who is currently on paid leave while under investigation by the U.S. Justice Department. And is almost certainly going to dot, jail. Dot, 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 dot. Kaneshiro has been named a target in one of the largest corruption probes in Hawaii's history. One that began with Honolulu's former police chief, Louis Kealoha, and his wife, Catherine. Never heard a, of him. Who was a deputy prosecutor, framing a family member for the theft of their mailbox with the help of an elite unit of officers. The case expanded to include Kaneshiro, who has been a loyal ally of Catherine Kealoha, and corporation counsel Donna Leong, a top official in Mayor Kirk Caldwell's cabinet, who helped orchestrate a $250,000 payout to Louis Kealoha using taxpayer money. So... I think the question here is, <laughs> if you had to pick one of your family members to frame for stealing your mailbox... Name them. <laughs> you know, so th- that's exactly yeah. the the way that the prosecutors operates, the win at all cost yeah. mentality. That's the been measure- ingrained into all your deputies exactly. whom you're about to walk into an office full of. The, having the measure of success be conviction rates and your the sentencing, yeah. what, what you get at sentencing is the reason for this corruption. Uh, and so... That's why we need to transform the way it operates. So are you thinking, are you, in terms of, you know, what's political philosophy 101, Machiavelli, it's better to be loved or feared, I don't know. Are you thinking you go in there hostile takeover style or... How do, I mean, how do you approach day one if you, you know, if you, if you, if you win? No, uh, I, I wouldn't go in there hostile takeover style. Not, and I disagree that all the prosecutors have that mentality. Some of the higher up old old school prosecutors who have been there for a long time definitely operate with that mentality. And then only some, right? And then only some. The newer generation of prosecutors, for the most part, uh, see things that they see that things aren't working and they want... (laughs) They still have the cognitive dissonance. They haven't totally killed it off yet. Okay, good. So, But even the prosecutors who have been there their entire careers, I would love to sit down with them and explain my plans and get them to try something different. As long as they're willing to work with me and carry out my vision for the office, then absolutely we need them. Um, So that's how I view it, that I can't now decide Oh, everyone's got to go because clean house. They definitely haven't drained the swamp. Drain the swamp. And you can't do that. We have active. There's active cases now that need to be prosecuted. You can't. I know the public wants to hear that someone's going to go in there and just dismantle it and fire everyone. But you absolutely cannot do that. There's thousands of cases currently being prosecuted. If you do that, it would it, it would be a detriment to public safety. So that you can't do that. Will I interview each one, each deputy, and make sure that they will carry out my visions? Absolutely. Don't you run a risk of all of these people from the prosecutor's office leaving and then going to the public defender's office? And then now you've got an issue where you are having to fight those same people, but they're throwing the game for the defense? So I bet you never thought about that, never, did you? Prosecutors hardly, I don't think there's one prosecutor who's joined the public defender's office. Prosecutors, when they leave, they they generally go to private defense. Sell out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, excuse me. Sorry, there's something in my throat. Um, but, uh, is so your, that's not a fear then? No, no. It's or not. is it just not a fear you've considered? 
Because what if, you know, the deputies run for chief public defender and then where are you at now? <laughs> Thankfully, it's an appointed position. Oh. I think our system of justice will work better when public defenders and prosecutors have a working relationship yeah. with the, the goal being public health and public safety. Yeah. The way the current system operates and this, you know, this false dichotomy that we're a prosecutor has to advocate for the max and the public defender is going to be asking for release um, just creates this culture of corruption in my opinion and it's not promoting public safety and health and so I disagree that that's how the system needs to operate and I actually think that's what's wrong with the system good answer should we do some lightning round questions Ooh, I don't know if you're ready lightning round here's the here comes the I hard one it is but I'll try okay <laughs> what's your favorite type of lightning the <laughs> Good answer. Uh, law and order or law and order SVU or criminal intent? Criminal intent. Or Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I don't know what that one is. Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Wow. You've Fav heard that, listeners. Favorite law and order character? Dick Wolf. I don't, I don't know them by name. Vincent the, the, one, the one with the... Dick Wolf. The, the one with the, with the hair. Yeah. Sam yeah. Watterson. <laughs> is that his name? No? That, I mean, there is a guy named Sam Watterson. I don't know if I would describe him as the hair guy. I don't, I don't know why I'm answering these questions with her. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, favorite Vincent D'Onofrio movie? I don't know. I mean, I don't know who the he is. Oh, he's the criminal intent guy. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, that's okay. We've established that. <laughs> Josh, <laughs> Josh is really favorite, going. He was just really hoping you knew Lawnmower. Favorite Arizona sports team? I don't follow sports. Favorite Arizona non-sports team? Uh, the rainbows. <laughs> okay. Okay. Favorite Arizona politician. Really? I, I'm so disconnected with Arizona because okay. I lived there so long oh, ago. The, that. How about this one? We just want to mix it. You know, everybody, every week it's like, we're trying to catch yay, you Yay, Hawaii. <laughs> like, like, um, name one politician in Hawaii state government that you're like, that person really inspires me. Amy Peruso right now. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, she's doing amazing things for the community, and she's exciting to watch. So. She's great. Yeah. Beef or chicken? Beef. Lamb or beef? Beef. That's good, lamb. Beef or pork? Lambs are very innocent beef. animals. We don't do pork. What about uh, ramen or pho for the pho. rest of your life? Pho. Yeah. Absolutely pho. Okay, you heard that Japanese audience. <laughs> <laughs> Cheerios or Rice Krispies? Neither. Gun to your head. Name a president of the United States that you would prefer to have not won the election. Name the most impactful presidential election of the 20th century. George Bush. Name the second. Trump. Well, he was 21st century. Oh. Oh, it's a little mm, little linguist, little trickeration. You got her. All right. Uh, okay, so we, this is this is now we're getting to the standard questions. This is what we ask all our all our guests. We ask all those questions yeah. too. To Not everybody. those. Uh, sometimes Josh really riffs hard on Law and Order most of the time. Yeah, and and then I made like, that up. <laughs> and then Sandy Sugiyama from Brazilian Experience. Like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> um, name drop. Shameless name drop. Um, so you happen to be shipwrecked on a desert island but you had the serendipitous foresight to bring along one book one movie and one album what did you bring one book one album and one movie correct. that's correct okay 
movie Silence of the Lambs. I've always been a favorite movie of mine. Okay. You want to be a prosecutor? <laughs> wow. Okay. So I've always okay. been extremely fascinated. With. Who do you identify with in that movie? Because this could really <laughs> make a difference in whether yeah, we Yeah, the restorative justice thing doesn't apply to serial yeah. killers, right? Is there? Yeah, we draw well, the line somewhere, right? Yeah. What does Hannibal's no, victims need? No, restorative justice has to do with the crime victim. So the person, right. So, <laughs> oh, so, so they're dead. It's well, they're fine. dead so, at this point. They restore this. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Dead so men need no justice. Restorative justice is talking about victims of crime. So it yeah. absolutely, if someone is, if someone had a family member murdered, or if someone, you know, went through yeah. a tragedy like that, you're bringing them to the table and saying, "Hey, yeah. bring them to the table." Is a bad so, choice of words. So <laughs> they, kidding. so they get to eat a piece of Hannibal's brain. <laughs> that sounds. Brain That's, for a brain. I've, so this is biblical, biblically inspired, I like right? This. Well, Hammurabi did it before yeah, the or, Jews. I don't want to name check my favorite uh, Levant. Bebelus. Yeah. Anywho, okay. So Nebuchadnezzar you sadly could not be reached for comment. <laughs> we have your favorite movie. Yes. So as far as book, I mean, right now my mind is so occupied with criminal justice, anything criminal justice okay. reform related. It's the United States um, Constitution. You know, Just Mercy is an mm. excellent book. I just finished re- reading. Uh, you look like an asshole for saying Constitution <laughs> when she brings out Just Mercy. Uh, I just read the book Charged by Emily Bassalon, and it talks about the prosecutor in the 21st century and what policies that they should be nice. implementing. And what was the the third album? Album. Oh, I, favorite album of all time. Emily Bazelon reading Charged on audiobook. <laughs> Slate Political Gap Fest and a visiting professor at Yale University, New York Times correspondent fellow. Who's Emily? Emily Bazelon. That was all listeners. That was all on the top of his head. Yeah, yes. I'm <laughs> so impressed by that. Any albums? Sorry, please continue. Basically, I mean, oh, so cheat, this is a good cheat code. We'll give you. A, we'll, we'll let you in a little bit of a political tricks of the trade here. Um, that we made these tricks. Yes. Well, no. We knockout oh. slam dunk answer. Your favorite band's greatest hits album. Yeah. So I'm trying to think right now. So I'll, I listen to just I, I really actually like um, house music. Real calming. Oh. Like, okay. <laughs> not, no, no, no. No, she likes the trans, like not the trancey <laughs> stuff. You like the more like mellow. Yes. Like, and I just listen to that off yeah. of not my, you know, like what you would hear account. in like a German coffee shop. Yeah. I suppose um, yeah. without much lyrics and just instruments. Just, um, we're just but, vibing, man. We're just vibing and talking about justice. But as far as just, I don't know, the greatest hits or what, if I'm on a road trip, what I would want to listen to, I think it would be a mix of like Steve Miller band okay. with the Eagles and, you know. It's not bad. Yeah. Where are you road tripping to? Oh, man. Arizona. <laughs> haven't been there in a while. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know. I haven't been on a road trip in a while. So right now it's much. just, yeah, around the islands and talking to the communities about the like need trips, for criminal justice reform. Road okay. trips are one of those things that you like for like the first hour and a half. They're awesome. And, then, and you're just like, what did we do? <laughs> what did I do? The, uh, you know, the, I, other, the other day I actually spent, I spent the beginning of the morning out in Waimanalo. Mm. And then I ended the day in Waianae. And I felt during, during that, that is, drive, I did feel like I was feels, on a road trip. It that does. is east to west. Yeah, for, really for listeners does. on the mainland, that is about as far as you can go. Yeah. <laughs> I like feel like I never drive any more than 35 minutes anymore. I'm like, if it's 35 minutes away, right. no. And I growing know. up, like everything was 40 minutes yeah, away. Yeah, same. Yeah. Well, Jackie, thank you so much. Oh, lightning oh. round question. Oh, you have another lightning round? Yes. Okay. Most inspirational Richardson professor that mm. you had? Oh. 
I, it's got to be Van Dyke. Mm-hmm. I was R.I.P. Yeah, I was his research assistant, and Very cool. we were working on the judiciary in the Pacific, looking at countries like Micronesia and diff- and other islands within Micronesia and the Pacific Islands. So, uh, and I don't think it was ever finished before he passed, but he he definitely inspired me. This is gonna be like. When he passed away like two years, I think, before we started school. Yeah. It was it was pretty yeah. pretty soon before we pretty recent whenever we started. And it was everybody who had like come before us was like, Oh, you guys really missed out not yeah. having John Van Dyke. Yeah. How about least inspiration or she's professor? <laughs> I'll I'll take the fifth on that okay. one. <laughs> hey, that's a lawyer joke. Yeah. Jackie, any parting last thoughts? Parting thoughts, words of wisdom, anything you'd like to share with our audience? Other than please vote for me. I just want to stress the importance of this race. Um, you know, the prosecutor's race, we've we've had the same three prosecutors since it first became an elected position. Time and immemorial. That doesn't happen in Hawaii government. Usually there's so much turnover. <laughs> People vote so much. It's such a you know, tumultuous moment every election. And and this is the first time that there's not an incumbent and there's it's a you know active field and very different policies and beliefs of how each person sees that office and what we need to be doing to make our communities safer. The prosecutor is extremely powerful, and I don't think that the public really truly understands that they cha- they are affected one mm. way or not or another. Even if they're not, if they don't have an active case in the criminal justice system, the way the policies are being implemented through that office absolutely affects them you know if it's the business store owner who their property keeps being damaged or they're the they have a hotel in Waikiki and they're frustrated with the homeless situation the way we've been prosecuting these quality of life crimes or dealing with um, crimes that stem from poverty are only cycling people through and it's not treating anything we're not transitioning people out of the system and we're not making our communities safer so this race is extremely important. I hope everyone out there s- studies each of the candidates and their policies and gets to know them. I appreciate you guys giving me this opportunity to speak to everyone. And Our pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, listeners, uh, that's Jackie Esser in her own words. Uh, I hope that you listen because it's relevant whether you are uh, you know, a single parent living in Kalihi or the owner of a humble Kahala mansion where you're uh, uncle keeps stealing your mailbox. Um, <laughs> Jackie, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. And we look f- best of luck in the race, and we yeah. look forward to seeing how it turns out. Appreciate it. Oh, last question. Yeah. Private prisons bad? <laughs> Private prisons are terrible. Thank you. Okay, good. <laughs> that was great. I think we did very well. <laughs>